When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. This is your independent voice of Fulham FC, and my name is Jack Collins. I've been drafted into the hot seat in Sammy's absence, and it's nice to be back in presenting mode and joining me today. Uh, three gentlemen to take a look back as Fulham's unbeaten start of the season came to a crashing haul at the Emirates, losing 2-1 to Arsenal. But it wasn't all bad. There's plenty to discuss. I'd like to just say hello to Mr. Jack Kelly. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course, always, Jack, always. It was uh, an interesting day for you in the press box yesterday, but we'll get into that just before we get going. Uh, welcome back to Mr. Stephen Sheldrake. How you doing, sir? I'm great, Jack. Good to be back. Hi, everyone. Hello, mate. Hello. And of course, a, a massive return to Mr. Marco Dinovalius. How you doing, mate? This is a long time no see, as I started to say. Yeah, great. It's been too long. So, yeah, thanks for having me back. No, it's, um, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into this with the three of you. Um, there are some some faces looking worse for wear today, but I think that's the the aftermath of, a, of an away day is always nice uh, to see. Uh, Jack, how was the press box before before we get into any more? Because uh, you were, I hear, right next to Jim and Jamie, which was, must have been an interesting experience in some ways. No, it was a, it was a proud moment for me personally in, in my you know early career as a journalist. But um, despite the result, I had a a great day um taking the lead was interesting had to sit on my hands for that one and um yeah to lose the game in that fashion and then have to you know go straight to the press conferences there was no real time to digest the result and I sort of am now talking with you sitting and thinking about the result and I'm feeling a little bit more upset than I did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a group therapy session. It's okay. We're, uh, we'll, we'll work our way through it. Um, Jack, I'm going to touch on that journalistic expertise let you get the three-word reviews out of the way. All right, I've got I've got four belters here. Um, Jimmy, be good with Mitro the Centurion after his 100 goals yesterday. Uh, not 100 goals, but making it 100 goals, obviously. Uh, Cheese <laughs> FFC with didn't concede nine, which I really enjoyed. Um, Doug Bethune with burned by VAR, which is very good. And Sammy F. Silver with smash and gab. Oh, oh, there we are. There we are. There we have it. Very, very good. Um, I mean, let's just start, start with the, the kind of general thoughts. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you. You were there. What, what did you feel coming out of the ground, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, my, my default personality is mostly cynicism and negativity. But honestly, one word I can use for yesterday is just proud. Just felt quite proud of the team, the way we defended. Tony Robinson, um, I think he's gone from probably our worst starting player last year to one of our best this year. Palinja and Mitrovic again, you know, I love them like brothers. Leno um, messed up a bit on the goal, but um, for those Pokemon fans out there, it's like going from Magikarp to Gyarados, the um, uh, Leno upgrade on Rodak. Really, I think he did well. And just proud of the club and the fan base, really. I think the whole atmosphere of the game, how far we've come compared to 
um, 9-0, Mr. Parker, and even a few years ago, um, I remember going to uh, Arsenal away in the Laurie Sanchez season when we scored. Healy put us 1-0 up. It was similar in terms of how we lost the game. It was a decent day out, but just the we had a, a, an end full of Arsenal fans. There was yeah, a lot of tourists there. Yesterday, I think, bar maybe Brentford, one of the best London away atmospheres I've, I've had. I thought it was a great day, and that's credit to... Marco Silva and the players on the pitch and their effort at making watching Fulham in the Premier League so enjoyable again. And there was, there's issues with squad depth that we'll come on to, but I think just the fact I'm feeling so upbeat off the back of a loss is, is credit to the, the work and the performance. And all that being said, while I actually missed the goal, uh, eating a chicken balti pie in the concourse, which was uh, upsetting. But uh, yeah, relieved to miss the limbs, actually. But apart from that, yeah, good day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Stephen, it, it didn't start particularly lively with, with how I put it from a, from a pulling perspective. I thought the first half we were, we did what we needed to do, but we were sluggish in in some ways. And some people will say, and maybe myself included, to be honest, that that's part of a, a game plan to basically just hang in there to the last minute and, and see what you can nick. And that, that's how it's going to have to be sometimes at, at the bigger sides. And in a team in such form as Arsenal are in currently, you know, they're, they're buzzing, the place was buzzing. And, and ultimately you could sense that kind of air of anticipation we said that Fulham would have to if we're going to get anything out of it try and quieten the crowd which I think we did um try and dampen the atmosphere which I think we did um and look obviously there's that relief for them in making a late winner and, and those things come against you sometimes look last week we were celebrating a late winner this week uh, we're on the other end of one um but ultimately I thought in the first half we were dogged without particularly being inspiring yeah, exactly. I think we did what we needed to do in the first half. And I very much felt that, yeah, Marco was like, right, let's contain the pressure, let Arsenal burn out, do their thing um, and just, you know, ho just hold the fort. Um, and it was it was a difficult watch uh, as a Fulham fan because we know that on the press we can be so intense. That, you know, we, we'd love to play the way we played against Liverpool every game, of course. But, you know, overall, I thought we were really well-disciplined, well-structured. I think we contained Arsenal very well, who are a phenomenal side. And, you know, this might be a big statement, but can be pushing for the title, I think, this season, or at least in the seasons to come with their young squad. But, you know, I thought Arsenal were ruthless. Um, and other than a couple of mistakes Tosin made at the start, which, um, yeah, made me crap my pants a little bit, um, I thought it was really good. And I, I had that sense of anticipation, like you say, Jack, I was hoping that in the second half we were just going to switch on and then it was going to be half an hour of us, um, you know, pinning them back. Um, and without going into it too much, I guess the main issue for me where that didn't happen is is squad depth for me. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll, we'll come on to it and we'll come on to it. We've got a couple of questions about, uh, about the squad depth and, and what we can bring on and the substitutions. But... It did feel, Jack, that there was an element of a tactical tweak at halftime. Fulham came out yeah, a little bit you know, higher up the pitch. The, the press got going a little bit more in the second half. And obviously that leads to Mitrovic's goal. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of accept that sometimes you go into these games, you go, OK, can we, you know, as the, as, can we smash and grab this? Because I think, you know, anything, you know, any other result would have been a bit of a Fulham getting a go, doing a job on someone as opposed to outplaying them. And look, we've seen that we can hold our own in terms of playing football against Liverpool and then obviously against Brentford as well. This was a different ask in, in quite a lot of ways. Yeah, you, you know what you know what you expect with Arsenal because they love to dominate the ball, especially at home, and it sort of felt like um, 
it was inevitable that they would take the lead at some point, given their first half performance. They were absolutely relentless and just wouldn't give us a moment's peace on the ball. And Fulham just couldn't get out in that first half. But the second half changed up a little bit. And this is where the goal came from. That ball that obviously should have just gone down the line, went back into the box to Gabriel. And Mitrovic just thought, OK, I'm having this. Chased him down. And it was one of those where like the first couple of seconds of him chasing it down, I didn't necessarily think he was going to win the ball. And then he got the right side of Gabriel, took the ball away from him. And the finish is really good as well. Um, And that was a real surprise because it came completely against the run of play. And it was almost the perfect time to score because Arsenal was still in the attendancy in that second half. But um, I thought we did really well in in large spells of that game. And um, yeah, to press Arsenal in that manner, to be brave in that manner and to get the goal um, in the way in which Mitrovic pressed was really pleasing. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. I, I'll come back to the goal, um, but I'm not going to ask you, Marco, since you missed it. Um, but we're gonna, we was going to talk about the fact that, you know, Fulham have to be multidimensional this season, right? It's not just about the the elements of playing really pretty football and, and, and doing what we did last year because it's going to be different. And we've seen, look, I'm not going to the Norwich comparison because I think it's nonsense, but y- there is an element of when Norwich came up, they refused to adapt. And I actually think that when when you're kind of looking at those you know bits and bobs and the struggles that you have, it's kind of it's quite difficult in some ways to to think about it and go, okay, what what what's Fulham, you know, what's Fulham's plan of attack here? What's Marcus Silva's plan of attack? Because there are going to be changes, and you're going to have games where, like this one, we are dominated on the ball. Um, and, and then kind of what was most pleasing, I think, for me yesterday was the way that Fulham were able to actually deal with that, right? And, and actually completely able to, to to play a different sense, a different style, a different manner um, that, that gave us the opportunity to, to grab something from the game. And that's ultimately you know where we were. We had the, those last minute chances. Fulham could have got something out of yesterday's game. And that's about as much as you can ask for. I love that we're dangerous from set pieces. Mitra had a good header at a corner that you know could have been a goal. Um, and I love that we're getting players who not traditionally going to be pressing and in that kind of defensive unit to work well, like someone like um, Pereira, for example. Yeah. Um, I thought we were like, yes, it was a lot of defending, but we we're quite unlucky in terms of the two goals we conceded. One was very much a deflection. The other one, you know, there, there was a VAR check, possible handball. It was a real sort of scramble in the box, which maybe we should have done a bit better from. But just how much Arsenal celebrated that that win with their black-cladded ultras and the rest of it um, just showed sort of how unlucky we were and how, how they felt they sort of got away with one. And even the Chalaba chance at the end, like, that was a big moment for the away end. That was... Um, the redemption of Chalibur after his uh, embarrassing performance against Crawley. I'd I'd written him off, still ha- still am writing him off, but he, he's got a chance uh, as long as our squad depth remains so thin. Um, so, yeah, I think we were quite unlucky and I'd just like to uh, see, I've been watching a lot of uh, Arsenal all or nothing. I'm just curious what Arteta was drawing on his little board and uh, getting his team to hold hands before the game and that sort of thing. What what was going on after the Fulham game? They've probably celebrated it a lot. Um, but yeah, to your point, we're a bit more adaptable now to different games. I'm more confident going into games against big clubs. And I mean, you can just see the difference. Um, what happened at, at Liverpool with Parker? I'll, I'll try and bring up every time I speak. 
<laughs> it's going to be a running theme of, of this podcast <laughs> in, in so many ways. Um, Stephen, I want to come on to Bird Leno because I, I thought he was exceptional for, for long spells. Now, obviously, there's a mistake in there for the goal. I think if you come and you come for that ball and you try and claim it, you have to claim it. Um, and and it obviously, it leads to the winner. But he had credit in the bank because there was some absolutely sensational stops yesterday. And, and, and those kind of moments where you, you look at it and think, okay, this is a goalkeeper of real short stopping caliber. He's obviously deceived by a horrible deflection for Martin Odegaard's opener. There's not, there's not much you can do about that. Um, and then the goal is, is unfortunate in, in so many ways that the winner from Gabriel, but I think he covered himself in relative amounts of glory yesterday, to be fairly honest with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the big stories yesterday for me was Ramsdale versus Leno. We saw the reaction of the Arsenal fans when Leno left and the majority of them were quite gutted to see him go, especially on such a, a minimal fee as well, which I think is brilliant business by Khan, um, which he does occasionally do. Uh, I thought Leno was absolutely superb. Every time I saw the shots flying in, I had that heart sinking feeling that we were conceding and he just caught the ball or or deflected it away from danger and it was such a relief um, and I thought he was really phenomenal yesterday and I felt I actually felt most sorry for him out of everyone in the team him and Tim Ream who obviously came off and I believe we conceded after that um, because it worked so hard did so well um, and I thought it was brilliant and I'm really excited you know the comparison between Rodak being Magikarp and Leno being Gyarados uh, is a big stream by Marco I think I don't think Rodak will be happy to be called a Magikarp um, but um, you know, yeah, like you say, first goal was deflected. Can't can't diss him for that. And the second goal was a bit frust- not frustrated by Diop. I think Diop had to go for it, but Diop also went for it, didn't get it, ended up being a huge barrier to Leno getting it. And then, of course, we could discuss a little bit more about whether it's a handball or elbow ball, what the hell you want to call it. I would say it's unfortunate, and I wouldn't put all the blame on Leno for that. Um, but overall, really really excited to have him in between the sticks and I just yeah really really pleased yeah I mean Jackie there was a save that, that stood out to me which was the the one from Eddie and Ketia where obviously it's at him but it's point blank and he catches it and I, I thought it was you know a, a genuinely stunning bit of goalkeeping just to you know those ones where you know as Stephen says the the sinking feeling of having time the goal the ball's around that goal mouth and you know with the caliber of, of, of opposition players he's facing and at this point it's a front five right of with, with so much talent in it and you know every time you know one of those things happen you go oh god and he's just caught the ball and there's something to be said for you know just that kind of barrier of protection and going okay it's going to be all right or, or when Saka races through in the first half and he makes that unbelievable spread stop there are moments there that you go, this is a player of serious ability. Yeah, definitely the Saka one in the first half was a real surprise. I was basically like, that's a goal. And sort of what we're seeing with Burnt Leno now and the difference of quality between him and Rodak is exactly the same as what we saw when Ariola came in a couple of seasons ago. It's just that bit of quality in between the sticks that makes those remarkable saves that basically, albeit not on this occasion, but does gain new points down the line. And uh, Leno was fantastic. He just made these incredible saves. Like you said, the one from Inketia, the way he caught it was magnificent. It was unbelievable how easy it, he made it look. And um, look, Rodak's a good keeper and he's been a good servant for Fulham. But in order to uh, progress as a club, and especially in the top division of English football, you need your best keeper in between the sticks. And Leno so far in the couple of games he's played has, has been 
remarkable. And Silva highly praised him after the game as well. Brilliant performance from Leno. Unlucky that he, uh, we, well, the second go, he was unlucky because he came up for the ball. He didn't quite get his hands on it. And whether it was a foul or not, we can discuss later. But um, yeah, he, he had a fantastic game. I'm really pleased for him. Very niche reference. But if you watch Match of the Day and the first sort of clip of the game, and it's nothing's happening. It's just the ball going forward by us. And, and there's sort of maybe a, a blocked shot or something. Sorry, by us and there's a blocked shot. But you can see Leno right on the edge of the screen sprinting forward on his on his toes, like ready, just in case that shot did get through and he'd have to scramble out. And it's just that, you know, 24-7, he's always on the ball ready. Um, and that's a sign of a top keeper that maybe others aren't as, as quick off their line um, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think so. This is it. You know, it's that like sense of anticipation. And obviously that also comes with with a level of experience that, that he comes into this team with. Right. And, you know, whilst Marit Rodak will be, you know, gutted to have, have lost his shirt and, and you can you can understand why um, that there is that kind of level of, you know, how much, you know, there's six years between them or seven years between them is a lot of goalkeeping experience. And, you know, we tend to find keepers coming into their prime in their sort of late 20s, early 30s. That's, you know, where, where you see the the real kind of top keepers in the world at this these days. And, and, and Leno is in that bracket and Rodak is still younger than it. And, and that's a good thing because he has plenty of time to continue growing and, and continue to, to develop. But at the moment, just that the kind of sense of anticipation and that, those kind of quickness to... To, to make sure that things are going the right way, I think is is massive, and and he proved it and came up trumps, you know, for for lot periods of of yesterday. Um, let's come on to the second goal and let's come on to the rules because uh, I'm going to look at. I was looking at some tweets from from Ross McSweeney on on Twitter, and he he quote tweeted the you know the the law letter of the law, um, and it's. You know, handball before scoring. If an attacking player's accidental handball immediately precedes another player scoring, the goal will be awarded while last season it was like to be ruled out. However, if a player, you know, commits an accidental handball immediately before scoring himself, the goal will be ruled out. It seems pretty clear, you know, and and, and let me, you know, be, be straight here. You know, it's not, there isn't an element here of us going, we deserve to you know, win the game or we, we deserved to not lose it because Arsenal were the better side. But by the letter of the law, that goal should not stand, Stephen. I don't like the law. I don't think it's a particularly good law, but it is the current law of the game. It's extremely frustrating, isn't it? Because for me, having watched it 76, 77 times, <laughs> I'm joking, um, but I haven't looked at it. It looks like a scramble. You know, has the player got his arms completely by his side and can do nothing about it? No. Is he going up for a challenge? Yeah, I get it. You stick your arms out, that's fine. But at the end of the day, right, it hits his arm, it leads on to the player who then scores a goal. And if I'm looking at that personally, I'm like, actually, that's influenced the play. Um, that wouldn't have happened otherwise, and that should be ruled out. But, and to be honest, of course, I've got my Fulham hat on, but I thought we'd be very really disappointed get... if you didn't at this point in the podcast. <laughs> Um, I, throughout the game yesterday, didn't think Fulham got the rub of the green when it came to the ref decisions. There was a lot of hesitancy where he wouldn't, the ref wouldn't give a foul and then the Arsenal fans would absolutely jeer him on and then suddenly be like, oh, actually, yeah, no, I'm going to give that, I'm going to give that. And then it seemed like when it happened to Fulham, it was kind of shrugged it off quite a lot. And I just, it was just, you know, it wasn't awful refereeing. It was just consistently frustrating and I don't know if anyone else shares my feelings on that or whether you thought he had a great performance but I just felt we just didn't get the rub of the green um and personally yeah of course I'm heartbroken and frustrated by that goal it always seems to go the way the big teams as everyone always says 
Um, but I'd like to see that not given personally. You know, there was another one where we had the shot and the Arsenal player, uh, Bobby had a shot and Arsenal player blocked it with his elbow. But it was kind of right next to his body. You know, I'm fine with that. I can get over that. But this one, uh, yeah, left a bit of taste in the mouth. Didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, Jack, I think this is this is maybe the point. I, I don't think it was bad, like bad refereeing. And I don't think it necessarily, you know, over the course of the game, it wasn't the big decisions, you know, goal aside, to just take that aside for a second. You know, it, it was the kind of smaller things that just sort of randomly went against us that you're a bit confused about. The, the moment where Polina is booked for standing up um i'm not quite sure yeah, what was going on and then you know the the challenge on on bobby in the end which goes to a drop ball where he's clearly just been taken out yes there's a you know head injury and yes it's right for the play to stop doesn't make it not a free kick you know he's, he's headed through bobby and that's ultimately you know that's a major opportunity just outside the box in the dying embers of the game that if you're giving the drop ball uncontested to fulham why on earth would it not be a free kick yeah, it was ridiculous um, how that, I had a few issues with added time, actually, because that injury itself was probably about a minute and a half into a five minutes of added time. Um, the stoppage was probably around three minutes, I reckon. Free kick was taken. It should have been a you know direct free kick. We should have had an opportunity to put the ball in the box first time, but we managed to you know drop ball and play it around. Uh, there should have been more time added on at the end of the game. And... Um, the referee did not add on what equated to five minutes of added time. I think there was definitely less played. Uh, and I was surprised when the full-time whistle went. I thought there was at least another minute to go. Um, and also with the Paulinia one, um, I had the monitor next to me. And he did actually go square up with Gabriel Jesus. And he did kind of put the head in. Not in a dangerous way, not in a, in a way in which he would get himself sent off. But there was a coming together of the heads. And I could sort of understand why Paulinia got the yellow card. Um, albeit Jesus was the one who instigated it. Um, I like Jared Gillett. I think he's an outstanding referee, the way in which he's come from, um, was it the Australian League, yeah. and he's gone to the Championship and to the Premier League. I mean, it's been a remarkable um, trajectory for him. But there were a couple of things that I did have a problem with yesterday. And yeah, the VAR, when I saw the replay on the monitor yesterday, I was pretty convinced that was going to be turned over um, because it's, you know, he has hit the arm. And I was getting quite giddy. I was thinking, oh my God, this is going to be 1-1. One, one. We're going to get away with a point. And the goal was given. I was pretty surprised by that. But um, you get your ups and downs in the Premier League. I'm sure we'll get one come our way soon. Um, a VAR, I'm very much a believer of it balancing itself out um, during the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of disallowed calls last week, didn't we? If we were going to come in any game, we'd have rather they came in that one than this That's one. That's true, yeah. Um, we got a question from Richard Smith, Marco, which I thought was interesting. He said... Um, if you think, as I, I wondered if you think, as I do, that the Diop sub was a mistake. I felt it reduced our holding attacking options and introduced another body into an established four-man defence. There were a couple of subs, the Mbappé one as well. Obviously, Fulham went five at the back to match Arsenal, um, which made sense from a kind of the perspective where we were at. Um, but it, it did seem like a bit of a, a bit of a strange move at, at that point. Kenny Tetto, I thought, was playing relatively okay. I thought defensively he stood up really well and Mbappé got burned down that side twice, three times after he came on and it did feel like we we, we loosened our hold on the game after the substitutions. Now obviously tired legs, etc, etc. I completely understand why you're trying to freshen it up but it did feel like the subs didn't come off for Fulham yesterday. 
Yeah, I was going to say Kenny Tete. I actually thought he, he was one of our outstanding performers yesterday. And uh, Mbappé has sort of proven himself to be the backup option with his performance against Crawley as well, which wasn't great. Um, I think uh, Silver's hand is, is forced by the lack of, of squad depth. He can't do anything else but change the system to an extent because of the players he's got on the bench. The only impact sub was, was Kearney, really. And he's you know not yeah great player, but he's not, you know, huge impacts sort of striker that sort of thing so silver's hands are tied he's he's telling everyone the same thing and and that making those substitutions i think probably played a, a small role but the players were probably tired and, and needed to be taken off but there weren't any options to replace them with the diop swap was uh, i think for pereira um so yeah pereira working hard pressing the, the whole game closing people down um I think that I think there's a bit of an element as well. I don't think this is relevant here, but of Premier League managers overusing subs at the moment, we're seeing a lot of like triple double substitutions, and especially late on in games. And I haven't I've yet to see one really come off and, and achieve anything apart from time wasting. So that might be happening as well. But I think it played a role. Definitely the Kenny Tete one. I'm hesitant to blame. Diop uh, again, uh, but um, but yeah, he does seem to be in the wrong place at the wrong time at the moment. Um, and just uh, just going back briefly to the VAR decision, it was interesting to see um, what Mitrovic said about it. Just sort of, he was complaining at the time and come out and said, um, actually, having seen it, the referee was completely right. I'm wrong. I don't know if that was a bit of the strikers' union or just um, trying to sort of avoid future issues he'll face. But it's interesting his take. I don't know if it was a uh, complete sarcasm or not, um, <laughs> but yeah, no. On the subs, it's it's a risk, but I think uh, we can't be too harsh on on Silva. He, he doesn't have the options to do anything else. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think this is it. It wasn't it wasn't a blame Diop necessarily. I didn't think he was actually too out of place in, in the side. It was more that I think the system tweak didn't help us. It pinned us back further. But as you say, you know, with limited options, what what can you do in, in those kind of areas? So it's going to be very interesting to see how this next week plays out in the transfer market. Um, but of course, before that, we have a home game to Brighton. We're going to be delving into that game against Graham Potter Seagulls after the break. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins. I'm joined by Jack Kelly. Hello. Stephen Sheldrake. Hi, everyone. Uh, Marco Di Novellis. Hello. Yeah, we are talking about Brighton now. We'll move on. I've just realised that Fulham have three of the top four in a week. <laughs> it's not something I thought I'd be saying about Arsenal, Tottenham and Brighton, to be perfectly honest with you at this point in the season. But here we are. And Jack, it's been another stunning start from the Seagulls. They seem to start fast every year. Now, often that's that's been followed by a drop-off. But 10 points from their first four games... So it's about as much as they could have asked for, really. Apart from Arsenal, who are on you know twelve points for a possible four, Brighton are the team I've been the most impressed with um, this season. Uh, Watch the highlights back from yesterday. Their win against Leeds, they basically dominated the whole game and scored a really nice goal with Pascal Gross. I was at West Ham last week and saw them beat, um, saw Brighton beat West Ham two 0 in pretty comfortable fashion as well, um, and scored a couple. Well, they scored one really nice goal. One was a penalty. They have been absolutely magnificent so far. And, you know, with the loss of Basuma, I was quite worried for their midfield. But the new, uh, the, the player they've got in, Casado, was it Casado? Is that his name? Yeah, Casado. He's been fantastic. Um, and I'm really worried for this game 
because you look at this on paper and you go, Bryant at home, that is um, a, a game we need to get three points from. But the start they've made, I'm fearing it quite a lot. Obviously, they went to Manchester United, they won, they held Newcastle. Um, they have been brilliant and they don't concede many goals either. I think they've only conceded the one this season as well. It's going to have to be a hell of a performance from Fulham and a quick turnaround from Saturday as well. It's uh, it's going to be a difficult game and I'm I'm, uh, I'm nervous for this one more than, more than any game really this season. I think this is it, isn't it? And obviously, that you know, no one uses the, we don't like using the word free here. But the Arsenal game, it felt you know, go in and give a good account of yourselves and see if you can nick something. Fine. Now Brighton at home, you look at that and go, okay, look at the run that Fulham have at you know in the, in this kind of spell, and this is the game you target. But the way that Brighton are playing, Stephen, it makes that all the more uncomfortable, and it does mean that the whole thing is is kind of frayed with with nerves in so many ways. That said, it's Fulham's obviously first night game under the lights at the cottage of this Premier League season. You'd imagine the old place will be buzzing as it has been, you know, for both home games so far. Um, and and we've got to try and turn that to our advantage. Yeah, we have to go full throttle into this game. Um... Graham Potter has been absolutely superb and, you know, is he the best manager in the Premier League? It's a big statement, but with what he's, with the squad he has, it's phenomenal. You know, I looked at that Brighton squad at the start of the season and a couple of big players they lost, as you mentioned, as well as Cucurella. And um, in my head, I was like, right, that's a squad that's going to struggle this season. And now look at them. They've already bagged 10 points, which is... um, I mean, what a start, you know, imagine having that as a base to build from. We'd love that. So, yeah, uh, I share Jack's concerns, very worried about this fixture. But I think we have to play the way that we play. Um, you know, Marco Silva's got to put a stamp on the game and it has to be Liverpool-Brentford-esque. Hopefully, Craven Cottage is going to be a bit of a fortress for us because, you know, the Wolves' performance was fairly similar to the Arsenal performance in terms of, you know, not too many chances created and, and holding the fort a lot. So I think we just have to go full throttle, deal with the squad that we have right now. Um, and then after Tuesday, of course, we'll have transfer deadline day and hopefully we can all breathe a little sigh of relief. Um, but yeah, as someone who lives in Worthing, I have to deal with not only the literal seagulls cowling at me all the time, but the fans everywhere. So there's nothing more I would enjoy than us stuffing them, taking the three points and um, getting that kind of breath of relief and it would be fantastic wouldn't it the local Stevens Sheldon Derby you're saying is, is, yeah, is what this, this one is um Marco what, what I've been most impressed with with Brighton I think is their kind of ability to shift shapes um to kind of deal with, with who they're playing we've seen them you know go three at the back and, and play really really high wing backs against that in that West Ham game with Trossard and March basically patrolling down the sides in the Leeds game they switched to a little bit more of a, of a traditional back four and now obviously it's fluid in game but um using that to kind of deal with Leeds' intensity and look, Leeds have had a cracking start as well and, and and Brighton looked good again yesterday you know it wasn't it wasn't the most open game in the world but but they deserved to win it they probably deserved to win the game against Newcastle that they drew as well they were the better side in that game um what what Potter's doing here with this squad and their ability to kind of mix and match to to, to play against different teams has been incredibly impressive and and that's the I suppose the worry for me you know will he how how he sets his side up will almost certainly be a direct game plan for for what Fulham will do and and it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, and I think he knows exactly what we're going to do um, because we don't we have the option to do anything else with the the squad we've got um i'm yeah nervous because of that we've had a very tough game against arsenal running a lot of running going into it potentially tougher than than 
Brighton's game, um, although not an easy one for them. And as as uh, Jack and Stephen both said, you know, the players that they've lost, Kukurela, Basuma, but the fact that they've reinvented, still doing very well, um, is is a threat. And their games after us are winnable as well. So they could be uh, doing very well for a long time uh, to come. I think they've got Leicester, Bournemouth, Palace until uh, before a couple of bigger games. Um, so, yeah, but I think we can back ourselves. Um, we are looking like we're making uh, the cottage uh, a difficult place to come, like we have in, in past Premier League seasons um, back in the sort of... Uh, you know, even the Coleman days, we were absolutely terrible away and never won. Uh, but Craven College was always tough to, to come to. So I'm really hopeful we can do that again. Um, and um, yeah, we're nervous of them, but maybe they'll be uh, thinking twice about that this is an easy game after seeing our performances. Yeah, no, I, I don't think they will be looking at it as an easy game. Um, but I think they will come into it in full confidence that they've been playing well. And Jack, you've seen this Brighton side in the flesh this season. Where can they be got at? I'm not sure because when they played West Ham, they were solid defensively. Um, There was a couple of times where they pushed up a little bit um, and Jared Bowen got in behind and Antonio got in behind. So maybe if they were to push up, I think they, did they play that three at the back system? Against West Ham they did, yeah. Yeah, they played three at the back and um, maybe there's an opportunity there to spring a count, but it's very much counter-attacking football against Brighton. And they do like to hold the ball a lot, um, especially midfield. And and actually, ironically, that's where their first goal came about. It was a counter-attack from West Ham having the ball. Um, it's so frustrating because if we had the likes of Wilson and Solomon, we'd be such a threat down those um, down those flanks. But Bobby Reed and Cabana have been more than capable at this level this season so far. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's the midfield battle where it's going to be won and lost. Can Paulinho dominate? Can Harrison Reed get a grip on the game? And um, like like you said, um, we've been really good at home this season. Um, we've been really on the front foot, especially from the word go. Uh, so if we can get a fast start here, we could hurt Brighton and Graham Potter's team. Yeah, I, I'm interested by this. And, and I wonder if, if if there's an element of he pushes Pereira right up, Stephen, to play you know almost off Mitrovic's shoulder in order to try and get beyond this. Because obviously there's going to be an aerial battle in there between, you'd imagine, Lewis Dunk and, and Alexander Mitrovic. And you know both have had flying starts the season both been very impressive um and there's there's a fight there to be won in in so many ways um i was a bit surprised in in some ways to you know just to herald back to arsenal that diop was the player that came on purely because obviously shane duffy can't play in this next game and, and it means that you know the rotations and the the, the system you know we're, we're another player short basically in this in that regard because alone he can't play against his parent club um, and I suppose that that gives us kind of questions over how how Silver rotates, given that this game is so you know so quickly after the last. You know, we, we, we're talking about a three day break. We, he's been complaining about squad depth. We've been complaining about squad depth. The, the whole you know the whole thing is is, is there, and, and it, it's quite obvious to see. I think in so many ways, but does he stick with this side now? Because three games in a week is a lot. For you know, players who are, are still you know warming up to this season, I think you know the, the, this is this is still the early echelons. That's that's a lot of minutes in the legs for a team like Fulham who press so well. Exactly, it's a high energy system. It's not something you can <clears throat> bosh out day you know day to day. And um, at the time when against Arsenal, Silver took off Pereira, I was I was frustrated because I felt like we needed that intensity to cling on to that point. 
But, you know, he's clearly got this Brighton game in mind with those subs that he made. Um, and I'm hoping the idea is that we're at home. Get, this is the game that we have to aim to win. Um, whereas Arsenal, it had to be like, let's stop them scoring, you know, see if we can grab the point and then, you know, put the foot down on the gas for Brighton. And I think that's probably exactly what he's thinking with the squad that he currently has. Um, and hopefully that's what he has in mind because, you know, Chelsea Spurs, yes, you want to get stuff, but Brighton at home, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, you're going to want to, um, you know, give them the hardest game possible. And I think if we if we do press and we keep up the intensity that we can, you know, Brighton being good on the ball, if you make it hard for every player on that pitch, um, that is how we're going to get them, I think. And to go back to your mention about Pereira and that, um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest changes when you compare Parker's Fulham side to why Mitrovic didn't work versus Silva. You know, we know Parker, we know Parker ball, you know, we know Mitrovic before the weekend had eight shots and Bournemouth had, had like five shots on target throughout the whole campaign so far, which is embarrassing, hilarious and brilliant. Um, the difference is we know Mitrovic isn't going to be pressing every player with, you know, Usain Bolt top speeds. That's where Pereira comes in. He's the high energy. He's the Harrison Reed up top, you know. Um, let Mitrovic do what Mitrovic is good at. Get the ball to his feet. Let him win the aerial duels. Let him bully people around. And let Pereira do all the running. And that's the hugest change that I've, the, the biggest impact that I've seen, um, you know, in the silver side. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, don't make Mitrovic be something that he's not. Let him do what he's good at and let the other players graft you know and I think Pereira is phenomenal a phenomenal signing and if he can just sharpen his game a tiny bit you know he does the occasional tries to do a little bit too much flair or skill which I love but and it doesn't always come off he can just sharpen his game up a little bit more that's a brilliant pairing up top for me yeah yeah 100 yeah, and you know Fulham drop into that kind of four four two shape when when we don't have the ball and, and Pereira obviously is is the kind of lead trigger we saw a bit of that with Fabio last season although we didn't really need to drop into blocks quite as often when we were you know winning every game 7-0 um but so it, it, it was fun while it lasted at the very <laughs> least this is a new challenge and, and ultimately that's what we were asking for was getting back to the Premier League and and staying there Marco I mean I know we're, we've been talking about this and, and limitations are there any changes you'd make for this or does it have to be the same 11? Yeah that, that's the issue there's there aren't any changes that you can make I don't think I don't think anyone who's not in that starting 11 is is good enough to, to swap in. Um, only changes if, if people are tired or injured. Um, but, you know, I mean, they've got Danny Welbeck up front. They can't be that good. Um, we've just got to stop Pascal Gross scoring. It seems like he scored most of their goals. Yeah, easier said uh, than done by all accounts, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Palinia can do a job on him. Um, but, yeah, no, there's, there's, unfortunately, with the injuries we've got, um, hopefully um, we can get a few back you know, soon. But, yeah, I don't think there are any changes we can make um, at the moment. Jack, the, the only one I was thinking about was maybe a, a Jay Stansfield reintroduction here. Obviously, Niska's Cabano did really well uh, at the weekend, you know, missed, apart from air shot, the air shot aside. Um, mm. but, but we look at this and... <laughs> He's just come back from an injury. We weren't sure if he was going to play in this in that game at all, uh, you know, considering he was absent last weekend. To throw a player who's just coming back from an injury into two 90 minutes back-to-back, basically, is relatively risky. 
Stansfield did really well against Brentford, I thought, and it was obviously a delight to see him to him playing, but also his work rate was incredible and he, he was able to, you know, I think get the beating a little bit of Rico Henry down down one side. He, he looked really at home at home, very comfortable. Obviously came on in the in the dying embers yesterday uh, against Arsenal. Is there a chance that that's the rotation that Silva makes? Because just to, you know, we can't risk another injury to a winger, basically. Yeah, I, I think that could be a possibility. And no disrespect to Jay Stansfield, but this is not the situation that Marcus Silva wanted to be in at this stage in the season. He would have wanted those wingers in. Obviously, the injuries to Wilson and Solomon haven't helped that situation. And I thought we would have brought in a winger by this stage, but it hasn't been the case. And there's a game on Tuesday, so it doesn't look like we're going to bring anyone in before then. Um, but it's a good sign for, for Jay Stansfield. He had a bit of a, well, I think everyone had a bit of a shock against Crawley, but when he played against Brentford, he was lively. And I think maybe that could be an option. You're right. I don't think Cabano should be risked um, to 90 minutes in a, a matter of a few days, given we've got Spurs coming up as well. Um, so yeah, I I would, I mean, I would start Cabano, but I wouldn't play him for the whole 90, but there is a, a, a point to be made that, that Jay Stansfield could possibly start and actually do a job for us. Yeah, it gives it gives that speed that you were talking about as well in terms of counter-attacking and, and mm. someone who we know is a good finisher. You know, big getting over the top doesn't feel like the world's worst option uh, mm. at this point. It might be it might be an interesting one for Silva to consider. Um, right, that's enough about these pesky seagulls. Uh, we have a couple of listener questions after the break and we're going to wrap this up. Stick with us. Welcome back to part three of the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Stephen Sheldrake, Jack Kelly and Marco Di Novellis. We have a brilliant question here that I, I thought was interesting and I imagine we'll cause some debate here. It's from David Smith and it's captioned too many signings, question mark. It says, hi Fulhamish. It seems that I'm the only one who's worried about this, but isn't there a risk that if all go through, we may end up making too many signings? Wilson and Solomon aren't out for the whole season. So when everyone is fit, if we signed the the linked wingers at the moment, we'd have Wilson, Solomon, Cliver, Willian, Bobby and Niskins competing for two places, clearly blocking Stansfield's route into the team. Um, he also asked a question about Neil Morpé, but that is... Uh, that is now moot. So that's good. So, well, clearly I hope everyone can recover. I'm quite enjoying seeing Bobby Niskins and Jay get a run out. And I worry too many additions might affect squad harmony. Would love to hear the pod's thoughts. Best wishes, David. Jack, what do you reckon? No, I, I think, I think, I think given the fact that we have nine subs um, and possible to use five in a game, um, I don't think there's a, such thing as too many signings. Um and look, we, we need players of quality in those positions. And, you know, Wilson, you're right. Wilson and Solomon won't be all season, but in an extended period of time, they could be out and, and not feature before the World Cup. And that's 16 match days with no Wilson, no Solomon. Um, yes, a lot of wingers have been, um, have been rumoured to come, but, um, you know, I don't see much of an issue with that. I, we need squat depth. You can clearly see by our bench against Crawley, we had we had no you know senior players on that bench. The, the options to bring bring on in tacking wise uh, yesterday was only Jay Stansfield, and um, yeah, it's worrying. Um, this whole I mean, look at Forest; they've made what 16, 17 signs. Yeah, I get that they had to do that because of you know the way in which their team looked at the beginning of preseason. Um, I think our business has been very very shrewd so far, and if we added a couple wingers in, uh, I wouldn't turn my nose up at that at all. 
No, I, I think it's interesting. I, I do appreciate, though, the, the point about Jay Stansfield, who would undoubtedly yeah. slip down the pecking order, Stephen. You know, he's been, was bright against Brentford. You know, we didn't see much of him against Arsenal, but th- there's clearly a player here, and it's obviously nice to see an, an academy product in inverted commas. Um, I enjoy the one of our own chance. I imagine Exeter City wouldn't. Um, but it, it is one of those where... If you bring in the players link now, I'm not I don't think they're all going to come. You know, obviously, William's been training at, at, at the ground. I think they're just basically assessing whether he's physically able to play football anymore. Um, and, and I don't know if that's going to go through or not. The Clivert deal, you know, I, I think will be revisited. I'd be very surprised if, if something doesn't move there um, with Roma's need for a striker to come in and, and the fact that they can't sign Belotti until someone leaves. Um, so I'd be very surprised if that one doesn't come back to the table. But I do appreciate that, you know, if, if these players come in and when everyone is back fit and firing, it does basically shut Jay Stansfield out. Yeah, so with, you know, Tony Khan and the business that he's done this season, he's a hero and a villain. <clears throat> the deals that he's striking are really shrewd. The plays that he's getting in are really good. And I'm really happy with who we've signed so far. The problem is, and it's a problem that we have every flipping season, is how long it's taking to get these deals done. Now, I would love, and I seem to be like one of the few people, I would love to watch Nottingham Forest crash and burn after spending 147 million signing 16 players and still on the hunt for more. I just think that would be hilarious. But it is costing us points, not to the extent, you know, like the Parker season we had, but like yesterday, we needed a winger um and to go back to the original question no we need more squad dev um i think whilst i love you know bobby cabano and jay you have to be quite brutal in the premier league and if we're playing under this silver system that's intensely pressing those wingers are going to burn out he needs to have rotation you know he needs to have maybe one winger starting on saturday completely different when you're starting on Tuesday because of the way that we play. And I love Jay Stansfield, but he's not starting ahead of Mitro. And you put him on the wing and he's fantastic. But with a winger, you need aggression and depth and strength as well. And I think it's great that Jay, Jay should be a player that we can pepper in every now and then towards an end of the game where um, we, you know, we're in a comfortable position or we just need you know players to be chased down. You know, the Premier League isn't the place where he's going to come in and get his opportunities. You know, Fabio managed to have the entire championship season and absolutely flourished and made himself Premier League ready. You know, arguably he was Premier League ready just before that. Um, but he needed all that experience and grafting and, and strength building. And, you know, in Cam, as long as you've got the creativity and the desire to chase the ball down, you know, you can thrive. But on that wing, you need you need someone exceptional and we need someone who's going to be setting up Mitro as much as possible. So I'm extremely frustrated by the transfer window the, the lack of signings um i think the position silver's been put in is completely unfair for the um unacceptable actually for the caliber of manager that we have and the ambition that we have um the only saving grace is that we're going to have another great transfer deadline day um <laughs> we already have a very good team we, we already have the base so I can't wait for transfer deadline day. And I hope we sign, you know, Culvert would be amazing. Culvert, sorry. Um, and hopefully one or two names that we just haven't heard of whatsoever will come in. We're not going to sign William. If we were, we would have. And he would have been on the bench against Arsenal and we would come on. We're, like, there's no reason other than he's even not fit enough, which means he's not good enough, in my opinion. Um, 
there's no reason why we wouldn't have just signed him. So I don't think that's going through, if I'm honest, unless we completely collapse on deadline day and he's an emergency signing. I don't think he's going to join us. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a probably a fair a fair point to make. If he was going to sign, he might well have signed already. Um, I imagine there's some extensive tests going on, so we'll see how we go. Um, Marco, is, is the kind of other kicker here on this point the World Cup? Is it the fact that, you know, this is a truncated season, it's going to be really, really hot and heavy as we go through that Christmas period into the new year? There's going to be games coming left, right and centre. And, and ultimately, you know, it's very rare that you have a fully fit squad. You know, th- this is not something that, that you see quite a lot in, in football. And, and ultimately, well, as soon as that drop-off happens, if, we're, if there isn't squad depth, Fulham are in trouble. Yeah, the World Cup plays plays a role, and I think I've got three things, three responses to this point. You know, number one, go on the go on the Fulham website, look at the squad. It is thin, and there's a lot of comedy acts in there. Oliver, Knockart, Cavalera, still knocking around incredibly. Second point. You can't risk it in the Premier League. You can't say we're just going to wait until people get back from injury. You've got no idea how they're going to recover from their injuries. They might come back and get injured immediately again. If this were the last five games of the season and we were trying to get points to stay up, you wouldn't say let's just wait for people to to get back. You'd look to bring in an emergency free, who knows. But every single point, every game counts. Um, and also competition is good, like uh, this idea that um, we want to like treat people nicely and make sure they have a chance. They need to fight for their chance in the in the team. Um, having two players in every position at least is really positive for the team. That's why I'm happy we've got that sort of a, a right back um, because that stops people getting um, complacent, keeps up the pressure and keeps performances is high. But... Yeah, I know there's a lot of sort of frustration uh, around the signings. Hopefully things can come good uh, come Thursday. But uh, I just want want to make a final point that um, it is bank holiday weekend. Everyone wants to enjoy themselves. If you're going to do anything this weekend, do a couple of things. Look at the Premier League table and look at Bournemouth's goal difference, which is (laughs) hilarious. And then find the picture of um, Jurgen Klopp with his arm round uh, sixth form, suit and tie clad Scott Parker on the verge of tears. And you'll feel a new lease of life for the the holiday weekend. Um, So it, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could always be worse. That is, that is true. But um, yeah, I think I think your frustration, Stephen, is shared by many. It, you know, yes, the signings that have come in have been good signings. They've been shrewd signings. Uh, I've been really pleased with the players that have come through the door. Um, but we've left ourselves short again. And 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 at this point, it feels like a running theme uh, and that's a real worry I think um, but on that note and, and on Marco's positive advice for your bank holiday weekend I think we're going to call things a day here all that's left to do uh, is to name this pod so I'm going back to you Mr Jack Kelly for a final pod name um, okay I think we'll go with burned by VAR <laughs> by far very, very good well done well done it's um it, it was a good one there were there were some good choices in there but uh i thought i thought you were going to go smashing gab i really did but um <laughs> but alas here we are here we are um right boys it's been an absolute pleasure dissecting these with you so for me it's uh thank you very much to mr jack kelly thanks very much thank you very much to mr stephen sheldrake thanks everyone pleasure as always and thank you very much mr marco Dinovellis. it's good to have you back my friend thank you great to be back 
Absolutely. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. The unbeaten streak might be over, but hope springs eternal. We go again on Tuesday night against Brighton. Thank you, as ever, for listening to this podcast. You whites.